Well, um, we're in a series walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. I love going through a book of the Bible. We talk about things that we wouldn't normally talk about. And, um, and this, we're going to pick up in, in chapter 12. We, we left off in verse 11 of chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, kind of like get ready or pull it up on your YouVersion app, whatever that looks like. Um, but let me give you a little bit of like intro before we get into the word. And that is last week, in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul opened up a brand new topic. He's been talking about different things as we walk through the whole, this whole series. Um, and he started a new topic. And, um, and the topic that he's wanting to, to, to talk about for the next chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 is spirit stuff, Holy Spirit stuff, things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the church and in the lives of Jesus' followers. And he's continuing that same idea, um, talking about gifts of the Spirit. Last week, we talked about all the different charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he's still talking about that, but in a little different way. He's essentially saying, like, you've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's to be used in conjunction with the rest of the family of God. And Paul's going to have this kind of radical idea that he's going to be talking about um, in regard to spirit stuff, and he's specifically going to be talking about this mysterious thing that we call church. Um, and, and I say that it's mysterious because I think especially in these, this day and age, we, we kind of think of church in a lot of different things, a lot of different ways. Like, he's going to tell us that the church is not a building, and it's not a place, it's you. It's who you are, and, and church is not an event that you attend. It's a family that you belong to. And once we wrap our heads around that, then it changes everything, to be honest, because then all of a sudden, like this morning, maybe you had the conversation with your family, like, hey, are we going to church today? Or what time is church at? Sounds really silly with our new definition or Paul's definition of what church is. Because if church is like a family, then, um, then it, changes, it changes everything. And Paul's going to talk about this interconnectedness that, that we're supposed to have, this interdependency that, that exists within a local church that is honestly extreme, like really extreme. And I would argue that the Corinthians probably would react the same way that you and I would as, as we read this portion of Scripture, especially in light of our world that is so individualistic. Like we are so, we don't, sometimes we don't even realize how individualistic we are. Um, in light of, of some of the things that, well, your experiences in church. If you've been around church any length of time, you've been hurt by church people or church leaders to some degree. People let you down, and it happens in church all the time. It happens in the world, but it happens in church. And, and yet Paul is going to paint this beautiful picture of what the Spirit is doing, uniting people, giving people gifts but not using those gifts for status, using those gifts for the good of the whole. And so we're going to start off in, in chapter 12, verse 12. Why don't you stand with me as we, as we honor the reading of, of God's word this morning. He's going to make this really cool like um, analogy. He says this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether, 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we, and, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body, it should not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of hearing or smell be? In, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Lord, um, I pray that, that this truth that Paul's writing to a group of believers, struggling believing, <laughs> this miracle that we call church, and what that looks like, I pray that it would get down on the inside of us realizing that um, you've called us and placed us not just into the grand body of believers, but into a local body of believers where we um, are called to leverage all that you've given us for the good of everyone else. Help us to realize that and to uh, steward it well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. So... Um, so Paul kind of like drills into this illustration of the church being like a human body. Um, many body parts, but, but distinct roles, many different members of the body, but, but one body. And that's, and that's kind of what he's, he's talking to the Corinthians about. He's making this awesome analogy. And even back then, like, because he didn't have all of the knowledge that we have of like science and cellular activity and all that, he didn't know this, but... I was looking it up. The human body is made up of 37 trillion cells. You probably knew that. I know. Um, some estimate much more. I know you're probably Googling it. It's fine. Um, and of those 37 trillion cells, here's the interesting thing. There are 200 different cell types. 37 trillion cells, but they're not all the same. They're actually 200, but that we know of, 200 different cell types, which means that some cell types make bone, some make skin or more skin, some make nerves, some make blood cells, some make um, specific organs in our body. And the human body is so intricately woven together that every cell knows its purpose. And your body does not operate well unless all of these parts, all of these cells cooperate well. Amen? And they all work together. And you're just kind of like living, breathing, coming to church, 
um, driving, doing your life. But the reality is, is behind the scenes, your body is every, every cell in your body of the 37 trillion that are in there right now are all cooperating well to make sure that you are breathing, your heart is beating, your involuntary functions are all processing, you're digesting food right now. All of those things are happening behind the scenes to provide health to you. Um, and it's honestly a, a miracle. And Paul's like, the church is just like that. Just like that. And then he explains in verse 13, he says, for we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Now, that last part that he says there, like Jew or Gentile, slave or free, sometimes when we read the Bible, because we don't have the context of it, and like Jews and Gentiles kind of aren't a thing, slave or free really isn't a thing today, we sometimes can read it because we're far removed from the context kind of like a poet, like a, like a poetry thing. Like it's like, like almost like Paul's kind of extrapolating and saying like, you know, we're all one in the spirit, whether we're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, right? Every term, tribe and nation. Like, I mean, like we kind of read it in this like this outlandish kind of way that like, oh, he's saying we're all in the same playing field. But I want you to realize this, that like he's writing to these people in Corinth that are experiencing division. And we already talked about some of these things, some of the reasons why they're dividing. A um, couple of the reasons. One, a few weeks ago, we said the Jews wanted the Gentiles to be more Jewish. The Jews would have been happy if the Gentiles decided just to get circumcised. It would have made them happy. They'd been like, finally, you're doing what we had to do. And the Gentiles wanted the Jews to just chill out and let them eat their demon meat in peace. Quit freaking out about this, Right? And Pastor Tom preached a couple weeks ago. The rich people were all coming. They're bringing the, the, to the communion dinners and they're way overeating. They're leaving drunk and happy and the poor people are leaving hungry. And Paul's looking at all this. He's like, all these divisions, whether it's based upon socioeconomics or race or whatever those things is, he's like, you're all equal. Like, we attain, this is the beauty of the church, we attain unity because of the Holy Spirit. And I realize that the people next to you may be different from you. Um, in fact, um, you may not even like the person sitting next to you. Hopefully it's not your wife. But like, you're all on the same team. Like you're, you're all part of the same body. And you're like, how is that? Because of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's saying. Because of the Holy Spirit, you now make up this miraculous, mysterious thing that Paul calls the body of Christ, that God baked into his church the need for each and every single one of us to work together, which means that you ragtag group of people are the hope of the world. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know that guy's name. Like, you might want to learn it. Um, that is the beauty of of this thing that we call church, that we call the body of Christ. And then Paul makes this really odd statement in verse 13. He says this, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Which means that like we have, it's a great reminder that every single one of us, if we're a Christian, we come into the kingdom the same way. Amen? We are all born again by the Holy Spirit. We are, we are placed into God's family by the Holy Spirit, which means that we all drink from and are sustained by the same Holy Spirit, which means 
that me, the guy on the stage with the microphone, like I have the same Holy Spirit than you do. And it means that like kids don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They have the same Holy Spirit that you do. Like all of us drink from the one spirit, the gift of God, that we carry the presence of God wherever we go, whether you are a little child or you are an adult and you've been in the kingdom for 30, 40, 50 years. We all come into the kingdom the same way. Whether you've been homeschooled or you've been through the school of hard knocks, the reality is, is like we all come into the kingdom and we're all part of this one big, holy, beautiful mess known as the body of Christ. You're like, yeah, okay. And this unity is attained not because of our uniformity. It's attained solely through the Holy Spirit. This is this beautiful, miraculous, mysterious thing that Paul's talking about. And he goes on in verse 15. He says, now, if the foot should say, which I've never had my foot talk, but if your foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It's kind of a weird, out, like outlandish, he's like, Body parts are now talking to each other. Here's his point. Paul is saying this. You belong to the body even if you don't feel like it. <laughs> you belong to the body even if you don't feel like it, which means like if the foot wishes it was a hand or the hand wishes it was a mouth, the reality is, is you belong to the body even if you don't feel like it. And I, for one, would love to get rid of foot and mouth disease in the body of Christ. Amen? That comparison is a thief of joy, that we look at each other and we say, oh, man, I wish I could do this. Man, I, I see some of these people up here leading worship, and you should hear, please, you should be thankful that I do not have a microphone down here, because it is like, I'm, like it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. I don't have this gift. And I could be like, man, I just wish I had their gift. And the reality is, is comparison is the thief of joy. Now, not feeling like or refusing to function as a part of the body does not make us any less a part of the body or any less responsible for ministering within it. So let me push on you for a second. If you're a hand, you're responsible to be a hand and to help. If, if, if you're an ear, you're responsible to be an ear and to listen. Like, if you are an eye, you're responsible to be an eye and to be a watchman. We have no right to remove ourselves from our God-given responsibilities just because we are dissatisfied with where we are or we don't like what we have. You belong to the body even if you don't feel like it. And it, that, that's a significant, you know, reality, for, I think, for every single one of us. We go through times or seasons, or maybe we're in, a, in the church even right now, and we're like, I just don't know where I fit. I don't know if I fit. I don't know if this is my church family. The reality is, I firmly believe that if God has placed us just as he pleased, then, then you are here, that you are a part of the body, even if you don't feel like it. It's, a, it's part of the mystery, the, 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 the miraculous thing of the body of Christ. And Paul goes on, he says in verse 17, he kind of changes it up. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, catch this, just as he wanted them to be. Um, back when I was in college for, for ministry, it was a long time ago, um, uh, like, what, 20, 23 years ago, um, there was this book that was fast becoming the standard of how to grow churches. And it was called uh, The Purpose Driven Church. Now, you, yeah, by Rick Warren. You've heard of The Purpose Driven Life probably, but The Purpose Driven Church was specifically written by uh, a pastor for church leaders, for, for pastors. And so you probably, maybe you've read that book, but most people have read The Purpose Driven Life, but this was The Purpose Driven Church, and it was part of... Um, actually a curriculum that I was, that I was walking through in, in school, and part of it was we, we had to read this book, and then when we talked about it, and there was a class on this, and um, researchers had found that the fastest-growing churches often lacked diversity, um, meaning that, that we are most comfortable in groups filled with people that are just like us. Um, and that's not hard for us to believe. I mean, we, we kind of, whether we want to admit that or not, it, it's true. I mean, there's a reason why Martin Luther King Jr. said that the shameful tragedy of our nation is that one of the most segregated hours of the week is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. There's a reason for that. That like even within the church, we tend to divide and we don't want diversity. We tend to grow churches of kind of homogeneous and back in, the, back in the late 1900s, when I was in college, as my kids would say, Dad, you went to school in the 1900s. Saddleback Church in California had cultivated this, um, what they termed their target audience. And, um, and they actually had this name where they were trying to find out the ideal Orange County church member. This is in California. This was part of this book 20, 23 years ago. They named him Saddleback Sam. And it's in the book. I actually found a picture of it on Google, and, I, and I, I have him throw it up. That's him. Saddleback Sam, our target, the likely Mr. South Orange County. Um, this was their target audience. And uh, you can kind of go through, like, he, he likes where he lives. He likes his job. He's well-educated. He's satisfied, even smug about his station in life. Like, I mean, he's got a flip phone, and he's got, like, pleated pleated uh, khakis, and all of these things. He prefers the casual and informal over the formal, all of these things. And so, like, they literally were trying to figure out who they're aiming for. And I remember reading this and coming to this page in this book and thinking, is this a joke? Like, please tell me this is a joke. And I'm sitting there with all these other prof the professors and all these kids, and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Rick Warren, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, not, I'm literally, I'm looking around, I'm like, this is, we're kidding around. Like, this is a caricature, right? Like, we're not aiming for this, are we? Like, you're telling me that the goal of the local church is to create a homogeneous grouping of people who, and avoid diversity? We're going for Saddleback Sam? Like, that's, that's, that's what we want to just grow a church of Saddleback Sam's? Like, the goal of the local church is to, is to build a social club of, of people who live like and think like and spend like and vote like and look like just like everybody else? That, please tell me this is a joke. It wasn't. It wasn't a joke at all. In fact, like, whole, whole I mean, it, really, the past 
decade of, of church growth was, was dictated by the, the purpose-driven church. And while I understand the principle and I get that, it just didn't feel like Jesus to me. In fact, I remember just being sad. In fact, I would argue that I almost see the complete opposite in the Bible. I see a church full of random people who aren't manipulated to join a social club of people that look just like them, but are placed, as the Word of God says, just as God wanted them to be. Which means that sometimes you're around people they don't like you. But biblical unity is not uniformity, it's intentionality. That's the difficulty of, of unity. But yes, it's attained by the Holy Spirit, but requires a decision. Because um, if you have unity without diversity, then you just have uniformity. You have a bunch of saddleback Sams. And if you have diversity without unity, it's anarchy. But the miracle, the, mis the mystery of the local church is this balance of unity and diversity. Gentile and Jew, slave or free. Because that balance doesn't just bring growth, it brings maturity. Let me be clear. I have no desire to put more butts in seats to grow a crowd of Saddleback Sam's. I do, however, desire to grow the kingdom of God through the miracle of the local church as God would have it because we're better for it. Amen? Amen. Jesus said it this way in John 13. He says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, not just because it's easy and because the person... Everyone around you looks just like you, but because it's just plain weird. Church, you're called to be weird. You're called to be weird. And so we will continue to celebrate diversity because we're better for it. We're better for it. The Bible said Jesus. I mean, this is, this is his heartbeat for the kingdom of God. And Paul continues, and he says in a kind of a different way, it's important for us to see this too. He says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Just in the same way, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Can you imagine the eye thinking so much of itself that it saw no value in having hands? Or the head thinking of itself so important that it had no use for feet? I mean, that is not only prideful, it's ridiculous. To think like, oh yeah, all we need to be is just one big eyeball. We just walk around. One big eye. Well, we can't even walk around because we don't need feet. We just roll around because we're a big eyeball. Like, I don't need that, and I don't need you, and I don't need your giftings, and I don't need your diversity, and I don't need your differences. I want everyone to just be just like me. And it seems like we can laugh about it because it's like a weird eyeball rolling around. Like, no, that's not obviously what we're supposed to be. That's ridiculous. And yet... It is so very easy. Church, if we're not paying attention, it is so easy for us to get so tunnel-focused on, on the things that are important to us and our contribution that we begin to look down on people and the giftings like they are less than. I've read books about it. Well, you know, pastors, they just don't see eye-to-eye -eye with prophets. 
You know, like people with the gift of administration just see, you know, they, have, they, they just don't see the benefit of the gift of evangelism. Like the teaching gift just doesn't have any patience for the gift of hospitality. The gift of service really, you know, they see the gift of leadership as lazy. And Paul's like, this should not be. Not only are you needed, but you need people who aren't like you because you're better for it. And this is what Paul's saying, that diversity without unity will cause us to mistake friend for foe. Let me say that one more time. Diversity without unity will cause us to mistake friend for foe. Because what we end up doing is we pick a side. We pick a camp. We pick a political party. We pick a news station. We pick our nose. And and, 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 we, and then we get the sneaking idea that starts creeping into our minds that the person on the other side of the spectrum, that the person on the other side of the aisle, on the, in the other camp, in the other church, the other party, the other race is our enemy. Christians, have we forgotten who our enemy is? Can I remind you? Those who vote differently from you are not your enemy. Like, we have one enemy. His name's Satan. The Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And I believe that one of his greatest tricks that he has up his sleeve is to get us to turn on ourselves, to, um, to mistake friend for foe, and to take, take us out by friendly fire. It's one of the biggest reasons that Christians have lost their witness in the world. And we like to blame it on Satan. But Paul's like, guys, this is, this is so important. In fact, it's not just important to Paul. One of the few recorded prayers in Scripture of Jesus Christ is for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the, the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Think about this. A lot of times we're wanting Jesus to answer our prayers. Unity is how you answer Jesus' prayer. It's a choice. To walk in what the Spirit is doing. Spirit stuff. This is just as much spirit stuff as the spiritual gifts. Paul's saying, like, don't forget this in the midst of all of your seeking and being eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, that unity is the most important. And he goes on in verse 22. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. In other words, we can look at the public gifts, like the speaking gifts, like well, just be honest, like my gift, and think, well, that's a really important gift to the body. And Paul's like, no, nah, not necessarily. Like some of the most important parts are the parts that you never see. 
the lungs, the heart, the pancreas, the backbone, the things that you never see and yet are essential to the health of the body. And it's in the same way, Paul's saying in the same way, the parts that are behind the scenes are often the most important parts, the intercessors, the counselors, the gift of hospitality, the gift of helps, the gift of service, the gift of giving, the things that you never see or behind the scenes and yet are essential to the health of the body. And my fear is, even in our world today, we are so enamored, I would even say inebriated, at celebrity pastors and all of those things that are out there. Are we praying? Are we, how are we doing with unity within the body of Christ? In verse 25, he continues, he says, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Even though each part is, equally, is not equally visible, each part is equally valuable. So it's not that like some parts are more important than others. It's that every part should have equal concern for each other. And if we're not careful, we will honor and, and care for the public gifts while minimizing the ones behind the scenes. And, and, and what we know about our physical bodies if you've ever been sick, if you've ever had issues, you've had, ever had to go in for surgery, it's usually the parts of the body that you don't see that when they are left uncared for will affect the health of your body the most. You can get a cut on your hand, put a Band-Aid on it. You got a growth in your body. Many times it's our heart failure, it's our lungs, it's the things that we cannot see that when left untended or uncared for can actually cause the most unhealth to our bodies. And Paul says in verse 26, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. It's this reality that like, and, and this, is, this is radical, but he's talking about this interconnectedness in the body of Christ. And I think of it like this, like if, if a football running back has a really good day and he's being interviewed after the football game and they're like, hey, how do you think this went? He doesn't normally say, well, I had, my legs had a really good day today says, no, I had a really good day today, right? Because it's not his legs that were just doing things autonomously. It's a part of his body and his whole self had a really good day that day. Now, if you, in the middle of the night, and maybe you did this last night, and I'm sorry if you did, if you're walking around and you're, you're freezing cold and you slam your pinky toe on furniture in the middle of the night, you don't say, my pinky toe has pain. You say, I don't think I'm going to survive this pain. Right? Like that's, that, because, because it's all interconnected. When one part hurts, the entire body hurts. My entire body will shut down when my pinky toe is hurting. I don't just be like, oh, it's too bad for the pinky toe. It doesn't bother me. I can just keep moving around and I won't say any naughty words in the middle of the night. Like I just, no, like my whole body owns this pain, Right? We're all interconnected. The body does not operate well unless it cooperates well. And that is both rejoicing and in pain. And it's, it's important to realize that Paul is not saying to us, and, and, and I really, when we're talking about unity, I think sometimes you hear messages like this and you're like, well, yeah, Paul's just kind of saying, you know, hey guys, come on, don't be divided. Jesus doesn't like that. Like, it'd be good. Can't we, wouldn't it be better if we just got along? Like, wouldn't that be so much better? Think about that, right? We should probably do that, right? No. 
Paul's saying unity is essential to the mission of God in the world. He's not saying like, hey, you should probably like not be divided. He's like, no, it is essential for the church of God to be the body of Christ in the world so that all may know. (laughs) This isn't just like a church health thing. This is like life or death for the church. Make no mistake, churches are rarely taken down by the forces of darkness around them. They are taken down by the division they tolerate inside them. Like, oh, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and we, we focus on everything else that's going around, and we fail to look at the health of the unity that's going on. In the, because unity is a decision. It's a decision that every member makes. It's like all the 200 different cells of the 37 trillion that you have. Like, this decision is, well, in church, like, it's this decision. Either we can, we can run around in circles, chasing our tails in committees and subcommittees, trying to avoid a church split over the color of carpet, Or we get on mission together and watch the Holy Spirit make us into a compelling community that would cause skeptics and atheists to reconsider. One of those is the living church. The other one doesn't even realize that they're already dead. compelling community. New Life, um, I would say more than any time in, in, over, over these past few years, this is our time. Like in, in the face of such polarization in our world, when people can't even have a healthy dialogue, when, 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 when people are, are so unable to disagree and yet still love each other, where, where lines are drawn over race and politics and gender and churches and all of these things, this truly is our time to shine, to lead the way, and to be weird, to be different. And it's a whole lot actually simpler and easier than you think it is. It's our time to be a, a compelling community, that, a church that isn't simply known for what we're against but to be an unanxious presence in the midst of chaos. We talked about that today. Pastor Tom was saying that we have the kingdom peace that we walk in. Are we walking in it? Are we able to walk with an unanxious presence in the midst of the chaotic world that all they want to do is pick a fight? <laughs> and we walk with that peace that surpasses understanding that would make skeptics and atheists wonder. What is right with you? <laughs> this is our time to, to, to embrace people who are not like us to, as brothers and sisters in Christ and inextricable members of the same body, a church-like family. This is what Paul's saying. And he says, it is then, Jesus says, that, that the world will know that you are my disciples. Why don't you stand with me? This, um, verse 27, he ends this section. It says, um, now you are the body of Christ. He sums it all up. And each one of you is a part of it. And I was thinking about that this, this week. And 
It's really tiny, so I don't know if you can see it. Um, this is a, uh, a Lego piece. Pulled it out of the big sea of Legos that my kids have. And um, this is me. Whoop! Almost dropped me. Um, <laughs> this is me. And if you look closely, and I know you can't, um, be, but if you look really closely, you'll, you'll notice that my, my edges are a little sharper than most. Um, my, my color is a little brighter. It's a different hue, it seems, than, than most of the other green pieces. Um, and I don't mean to brag, but I mean, I got the slopey part here, you can see, um, which is it's kind of a rare piece, you know? Highly sought after, my wife would tell me. Um, and um, let's just be honest for a second. Like, I'm a Lego piece. Um, and Lego pieces only find their purpose when they are connected to the whole. Um, by themselves, they're, they're actually pretty worthless. It's apart from like stepping on, on a hardwood floor in the middle of the night. They do serve a purpose then. Um, but by themselves, a Lego piece really has no purpose apart from the whole. They, they come in handy when we're, we're building something great. Like this. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And just like this Lego piece, our identity is found in our distinct contribution to the whole. Um, let me remind you, the eyes don't serve themselves, they serve the body. Hands don't serve themselves, they serve the body. Um, the function of each part holds little value apart from its contribution to something whole. And together we build something beautiful together, um, which means that, that my significance is not that I'm so great. It, my significance is that I'm connected to something great. Because when we're together, the world can finally see Jesus. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. It's this mystery. It's this uh, outlandish, intense, radical thing that Paul's talking about that Jesus died for. When we're together, the world can finally see him and the beautiful masterpiece that he's created with every single one of you working together for one end goal the health of the body of Jesus. As we, uh, as we sing today, I just want to bring this out to you that like, it's just so important for every single one of us to realize that, um, that we're a part of something great. And you're special and I know you're sharp, you've got sharp edges just like me and got all these great things going. But the reality is, it's like the beauty of it is when we add to the whole, and it's just what Jesus said. It is then that the world will know. <laughs> it's then that the world will know. Lord, I just pray that as we, uh, as we consider our role in this mysterious thing we call church, that it's not a, a place or a building. It's not an event we attend. It's a family we belong to. Lord, that when, when one grieves 
all of us grieve and one rejoices, all of us rejoice with them. And Lord, I pray that, that that would just get down on the inside of us, that we have a responsibility to, even if we don't feel like a part of it, to, to find out our role and responsibility in it. And so, Lord, I thank you for each and every single person that calls this place their home. I pray that, that we would be a place where people can grow and not just grow old, but grow up in you, mature to all of the fullness through unity and diversity together. I thank you for the opportunity. We lift you up today. We lift you up in this place. Lord, I pray that dreams would come alive. Lord, I pray that, that visions would come to fruition. Lord, I pray that, that, that even, even today, eyes and ears and hands and feet and all of these different things would come alive, that you would remind them the giftings that made light, light dormant and they thought, I just don't know where this fits. Lord, I pray that you would, you would remind them that you placed them just as you desired. May we come to, to full fruition in you. We thank you. Let's sing.